Good morning, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and we continue our, our um, post-story uh, discussion episodes with um, another talking about production elements. And in particular today, we will be talking about locations where we might want to shoot stuff. And if we have time, we will get to costumes as well and probably pick up on some of the character discussions as well. And we have a lot of excellent content contributed by our, uh, our um, we call them listeners, but they're, uh, for these episodes in particular, because we're talking mostly, because they contribute way more than we do, we probably should come up with a different term to refer to them. Collaborators? So, let's get started. I am Dave Kale, and I am joined, as always, by Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien maven. Hello, you two. Good Hello. morning. And, and then... you... Tolkien parrot Buddha is here with us today. Yes, the Tolkien parrot. Aren't you? Aren't you guys once again immensely relieved that uh, um, the listeners have removed from us the burden of having? Oh my to goodness! Of coming up with completely new ideas on our own. Absolutely, yes. No, that's it's it's. Uh, I'm telling you, this life of like the the studio exec where you just sit around and criticize other people's ideas. This is the greatest gig ever. Why haven't I gotten into this earlier? Like this is. <laughs> This is fantastic. Um, but so yeah, no, I, I I really appreciate all the suggestions people have made. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be trying to um, I, I'm, I'm going to be trying to share my screen. Well, okay, now I'm going. I, I, I predict I will succeed in sharing my screen. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try to put up some of the uh, pictures that people have been posting on the discussion uh, threads and things, so that uh, you know you'll see it's just pages of the of the discussion threads from the discussion board I'm going to be posting to look at some of those pictures um, that people have been when uh, those suggestions uh, come up relevant to uh, the things we're going to be talking about today so let's uh, let's get into this a quick glance backwards um, backwards and forwards uh, t- today is that we are getting towards the end this is the antepenultimate episode of season one we are almost done um, I, I just can't believe it. It's just amazing to me. Was it? It was just a little over a year ago that you came up with this idea. Yeah, yeah. We announced it. Uh, what a uh, like a year, about fifteen months ago now. Year, yeah, fourteen months ago. ago yeah. And uh, and we're we're uh, um, yeah exactly, Tom. <laughs> Only thirty eight more years to go. Uh, so yeah, Tom, I was reflecting on this. Uh, I was reflecting on this this morning because um, I, I you know as I was thinking through the different characters and how to represent them i had this thing i was like oh wait and i think we mentioned this before but i'm like oh yeah okay we've got to remember uh in the battle in the last episode we have to have a scene of orame leading a charge across the field so that we can make sure that we have that image clearly in mind so that we can do a visual echo with theoden on the battle of pelinor field <laughs> that he's going to be just like orame so we have to make in sure to ha- exactly yeah and and, and then I just, I just had this i had just had this flash uh, flash picture of somebody watching the battle of Pelennor Fields and being like, oh, yeah, I remember back when I was in elementary school, <laughs> I saw season one, and, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's going to be, but they won't be able to uh, to criticize us for lack of uh, foresight and planning when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, they'll just have to wait a little bit Nicola, for the for the reveal. Nicholas and Matthias, Matthias will be the uh, Matthias, Matthias. Matthias, yeah. You know, it's like that's pronounced. Is will be the actual co-host because we'll be long. <laughs> oh yeah, or or we'll their like children, yeah, exactly. Thing. Or their children, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And then there'll be, uh, there, yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the day when the, uh, the day when the Tolkien professor estate is, uh, is, you know, in negotiations <laughs> with the Tolkien estate is, you know, when you know it's gone too far, but. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and Warner I, I, Brothers will have the rights to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm going to go to my grave, you know, being like, you cannot sell, you know, my son, I bequeath to you. You must not ever sell the film rights to my podcast. Tom's got a good point, though. Every five years, we need to stop and start over again. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. We're really be like Tolkien. If we really want to be like Tolkien. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, did you see real quick um, that the uh, facsimile of the first edition of The Hobbit's going to be uh, on sale? I did not see that. Yeah, it's. Oh, uh, I'll send you the link. Um, it, it, uh, it was a, a, Mar- a Blackwell's, I believe it was. That it's at a you know UK bookseller announced it, and uh, it's a yeah, it's going to have all the original text in it from the first edition, which is oh, cool. very exciting. Actually, yeah. it's coming out today, I believe. I think, you know, because today's such a significant... No, 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 I'll take that back. No, it's September 22nd. It's, September I knew 22nd, it was a significant right. date. It was a significant date. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be the March 25th. By September the way, happy Gondorian yeah. New Year, everybody. For those Yay! of you who are listening live, uh, we are Gondorian New Year 2016. I should probably say the year, because, of course, who knows when... If you are listening to this asynchronously, in what year you are listening to it. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm often reminded of this with people like starting the uh, Silmarillion seminar, you know, you know, right now. I still get, you know, tweets from people who are just discovering it and everything. So anyway, um, but uh, so as I said, looking back, we're we're almost done with season one. Uh, We've got two more episodes after today. Last week, of course, we did the, uh, the, the, the casting concept discussion. And over the last two weeks, people have been nominating actors and actresses to fill those roles. Um, So tonight we're going to be closing the nominations and, uh, and, and setting up a poll. We should have a poll released tomorrow uh, in which you can vote among the nominees uh, for the, uh, for the different uh, roles and uh, and and we'll see. We'll, we will we will let the people uh, choose, and then next week in next week's episode, we're going to go through the vo- the uh, the the winners. Uh, look at the, look at pictures. Uh, do some evaluation of our own. Veto it if we choose to arbitrarily, because <laughs> you know we're the studio execs. That's what we do. Um, That's right. But anyway, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll so we'll we'll come back and we'll have those uh, those to talk about next time. So don't forget to look for the poll, Trish. The poll is going to be posted in the in the casting um, forum. Yes, right. It's going to be a survey monkey poll, but the but the link to it I will post in the cat in the casting section. And I want to invite folks also not to not be stingy with that URL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we words, can share that on social media and everything. Yeah, us. yeah, absolutely. Um, and and. I think what I'm going to do, I haven't set up the Survey Monkey thing yet, but I'm going to try, I think it'll let me do this, uh, to link back to people's, you know, to the nominations area so that somebody new coming into it could go back to the nominations right. to read why people have them. So right. um, anyway, so I'm going to get that set up. It, uh, nominations close at the end of the episode today. Corey's kindly given me until tomorrow dawn to have the, <laughs> the <polls> open. <laughs> <laughs> Trish conjuring this lovely image of like herself slaving away through the night, you know, <laughs> glancing anxiously out the window as the sky in the east begins to darken. Right. Is she going That's to right. make oh, the no. deadline? Oh no! <laughs> 
and maybe I'll let you put an extra lump of coal on the fire, and maybe not. Oh, please, please. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that process and reviewing that next week. So, just to remind you about how that the, the casting process, you know, the casting I think is some of the most complicated, uh, really the most complicated element of this kind of post production, um, uh, you know, element of uh, not really post production, but production concept uh, uh, section of the season. And uh, so I just wanted to remind you where we are in that process and how that's working. So uh, keep an eye out uh, for that link. Um, now, um, today we're going to talk about visuals. First, a couple uh, quick announcements. First of all, uh, uh, it is almost time for summer courses uh, at Signum University. Our summer courses have been uh, officially released. Uh, enrollment is not quite open yet. Um, they should be able to, to, to start enrollment sometime here in the next week. But, um, uh, but just to, so that you know what the classes are, um, there's a, a really cool set of classes. We have uh, uh, one, two, uh, two classes of interest to people who are, uh, who are interested in languages. One, uh, a bunch of people took our introductory to our, our Latin one class, our introduction to Latin. We have our, so we have our follow-up Latin two class this, uh, this, this coming summer, which is great. Um, in addition, a lot of people were very excited about our intro to Anglo-Saxon class that we offered in the fall. We had a, a very large number of people um, learn Old English, uh, reading Old English uh, poetry and stuff in the original uh, last fall. And so we have a follow-up class for those people. So the, the, this class uh, does have a prerequisite. You have, to, you have to know Old English because this class is going to be a Beowulf translation seminar. In this class, you will be going through the entirety of the poem of Beowulf and you'll be discussing it line by line and doing your own translation from the original. So this is kind of like, this is the big leagues. Like this is why you learn Anglo-Saxon. Right, you go through the effort of teaching yourself Anglo-Saxon um, so that you can read Beowulf in the original. Right, so this is it. We're going to go through Beowulf in the original. Um, it, it'll be, of course, a very supportive environment. Again, you do need to have taken Old English. If you've not taken it, this isn't really a class you can just take from scratch. It's going to assume you've had, in, you know, an introduction to Old English. It, it's not, however, that you need necessarily have taken our introduction to Old English. If you've taken Old English elsewhere, um, you know, we can, we can, we can definitely. You know, we're open to talking about that, uh, and you can you can take the seminar with us. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And we also have two other literature classes being offered this semester, um, both with uh, uh, both heavily Inklings related, uh, though not exclusively uh, sticking to the Inklings. One is Douglas A. Anderson's The Inklings in Science Fiction class. Um, which uh, uh, which we had to reschedule from the spring to the summer, but uh, I'm still very excited about that class. Um, you know that class is going to be looking at you know that that the the science fiction in the middle of the 20th century. You know this really formative period for science fiction, really boom period for science fiction, and to be looking specifically at the writings of Lewis and Tolkien and the way in which they are uh, both dealing with science fiction concepts and interacting with the science fiction of their age. Um, it's it's an angle from which people just usually sort of forget to think about uh, Lewis and Tolkien, in part, I think, because our own thinking has become so compartmentalized between fantasy and science fiction. Like, we we always think about, um, uh, you know, we, we always think about those two things. We're often, we are guilty of thinking of those things, you know, putting them in two very... Uh, 
in, 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 in two very separate buckets. Um, but they're not really that separate buckets. And Lewis and Tolkien definitely didn't think of them in completely separate buckets either. Um, so anyway, and, and of course, this class is with Douglas A. Anderson, the author of The Annotated Hobbit, just one of the one of the foremost scholars of fantasy and science fiction in the world, um, uh, especially 20th century fantasy uh, and science fiction. So um, he just he knows more stuff than almost anybody I know. So uh, really, really great stuff. So, so that's, um, that's one of our other two lit classes. Our final class uh, is a brand new kind of class. Um, it's a, a class of a wider scope than we've really ever taught before. Uh, and it's going to be really neat. It's, it's called Mythologies of Love and Sex. The idea of this class is looking at the love tradition, specifically the love literature tradition, and looking at how ideas of love and romance have changed and developed over time. Basically, questions like... Why do people always get married at the end of Shakespeare comedies and Jane Austen novels? Why, why, why does this happen? Why does love poetry work the way that it does? Why do, why, why still do most of the popular songs that we listen to have to do with love and romance? Where did that come from? How do we end up where we are? Um, sometimes it's easy to sort of think about that as a you know, a sort of an inevitable thing, right? Just kind of take that for granted because it's the world that we live in. But of course, when you look back over literary history and the history of ideas, it's not at all obvious that this is where we were going to end up. Um, so this class is going to be looking at this, and, and it, it does kind of take a, a sort of an inkling's lens. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, is, is really kind of at the heart uh, of this class. Um, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be really cool. I mean, just a, a little sampling of how cool this class is. The first week of class, the required texts are C.S. Are, are Lewis's The Four Loves, Tolkien's poem, Mythopoeia, Genesis chapters one through three and the Princess Bride movie. Those are that. Th those are the texts that are going to be discussed in the first week of the class. Um, so, anyway, this it's this this is going to be a really really neat uh, kind of class. There'll be readings from I mean, all the way through Shakespeare, Jane Austen, medieval courtly love tradition, um, uh, a bunch of Lewis and Tolkien uh, uh, works and everything. It's 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 going to be really really neat. So I'm I'm very excited about this. Um, so Mythologies of Love and Sex, that's our other summer class this this semester. So, all right. So just to let you know, that's what's coming up. Um, Trish wanted to uh, talk about a new Facebook page that uh, we've recently made, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Philip Menzies, who was our, um, our discussion forum summarizer, who prepares us a discussion forum summary every episode, um, suggested this to me last weekend. We've put it together now. Now, uh, we're maybe belated having a Facebook page, but there is now uh, the Mythgard Sim Film Project page is now up on Facebook and open for uh, any and all to join. Um, Philip especially and the other admins, uh, Megan is an admin who's our recorder and also Ashley Thomas, who's part of the Signum U messaging team, will be admins. So um, they're going to be managing that, but feel free to go there. Announcements will be there. Discussions uh, you know, outside the discussion forums will be there. Anything else is going to be there. So feel free to come and join. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Um, and finally, just one last announcement. I We are currently doing, I think I mentioned that this was happening, but um, we're currently doing um, our Mythgard Academy class on Dracula, um, which has been super fun. I've been having so much fun with it. It's Dracula is one of my favorite books, and I've taught it, um, I think, 
like in the non-Tolkien category, I've taught Dracula more than I've taught any other book uh, in my entire English teaching career. Um, I know that text backwards and forwards. I, 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 I can quote Dracula from memory. Not quite as well as I can quote Tolkien from memory, but pretty close, actually. Um, and uh, I'm having such a great time. going. We're going through the book really slowly, three chapters a week. And... Um, and we're uh, um, uh, and we're going to talk about films at the end. We're going to do four different films uh, from four different uh, from four different decades in the twenty and twenty first centuries. So uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 been a really fun class. So I encourage you to check that out uh, if you've ever been curious about sort of Dracula and the and the the growth of the vampire legend, especially just kind of digging back in to Bram Stoker's original Dracula. There's so much vampire stuff, you know, nowadays. Um, it's really fascinating to kind of go back uh, to Bram Stoker, which I think far too few people do, um, going back to the original text, and uh, and uh, reading it really carefully and seeing what Bram Stoker's Dracula was really all about, which is, uh, which is super fun. So, okay. That's other stuff that's going on. Now, we have... We should get down to business here, um, which is our discussion of visuals. So I want to start with sets and go to sort oh, of... Corey, yeah. I've sorry, got one, one more thing. thing. I'm sorry. One more thing. Yeah, one more thing. I just want to let folks know I have located the live chat room on the site. Somebody had asked about it. Oh, okay. If you if you guys want to chat among yourselves and not with us, um, uh, not have us see it. <laughs> <laughs> not you can go us. to <laughs> filmfilm.mythgard.org and click on participate at the top of the of the uh, the, the site, and that'll get you to the page where you'll see the live chat room. Yes, exactly. Uh, like, the live chat room is so if you guys want to talk amongst yourselves during the episode. Um, because, of course, we love to hear your comments and questions. If you're attending with us live, we love to see your comments and questions that you add to the questions box directly there in the in GoToWebinar. And we can see all of those so that we can we can see your comments and incorporate your ideas as we're discussing. Um, but uh, but if you want to chat with you, but it's not a chat stream. You're not going to be able to see each other's chats there. So, or... or Contribution. So, if you guys want to chat with each other, then uh, the, then that chat room is available for you guys. So, okay, all right. Thank you, Trish. I did mean I did mean to mention that. So, I appreciate your, your tracking <laughs> uh-huh, that down. Dave. <laughs> all right. So, sets and then uh, and then people. So, places and then people. That's what I, that's what that's what we're going to talk about today. And again, I want to do today pretty much like we did last week. Um, focus on concepts you know what are the ideas that we have for these how do we conceive of uh, of these different places and people and what are some of the larger issues i want to uh, uh two things i want to talk about with sets sort of broad issues i want to talk about with sets um first i want to come back to the idea about uh, uh about symmetry and i want to i want to share with you guys these are this is this is um what i'm a about to share here is actually from the slideshow that I used um, in the Mythgard Academy class we just finished, the Shaping of Middle-Earth class, because we were looking at the maps chapter in the Shaping of Middle-Earth class. I just wanted to, uh, those of you who weren't there, uh, just to sort of share with you some of Tolkien's own drawings about the map, so that you can see um, the the visual that Tolkien had in mind, which seems to sort of to lie behind some of the actual descriptions that he makes. Uh, first, this is a diagram of the world in cross section before uh, before the the destruction of the lamps. Okay, <clears throat> so 
one of the things we can see right away. So this is this is uh, this is the Western Sea, and this is the Eastern Sea. So the land which will become Valinor is over here, right? And this is Middle Earth. So first of all, you can see why Middle Earth is called Middle Earth, right? Because it's in the middle, and uh, and you can see at least in part what he means when he talks about the symmetry of the world. The world is perfectly symmetrical. Right, um, perfectly symmetrical in this kind of big picture cross section, right? Perfectly balanced eastern and western seas. Um, this lovely domed central continent. We've got the eastern lands over here and the western lands over here. Um, and uh, I'm not even going to get into a discussion of Ilmen and Vaya and Vista. Don't even try to induce me to do that because it's really complicated. And I spent like half a class on that in, in the Mythgard Academy. And we don't have time for it right now. Um, but it's, it's the land masses that I want to draw your attention to. Now, if we move forward, he did a map, um, not of this from above, but he did a top-down map view of of Beleriand after the destruction of the lamps. Okay, and here's what it looked like. Got a couple passages of text. Here it is. Okay, here's what he what Christopher Tolkien uh, labels map four here in this chapter of the shaping of Middle Earth. So this is this is this is the land, right? And this is not just Beleriand, by the way. This is the whole. This is all of Middle Earth. Okay, um, so. When he talks about the symmetry being marred, and this is this is a description, this is what the Valar do. So after the destruction of the lamps, here are the lamps, right? Um, remember I told you this story about how originally the lamps were like Melkor made the lamps out of ice. It was like a booby trap, right? right. Um, so when the lamps were lit, the ice pillars melt. This is the ice pillars. They melted and became these two seas, all right? So you've got the Sea of Helkar and the Sea of Ringle. This is these are those what which used to be the pillars of the lamps. So now you've got these two big puddles. And if you look closely, there's Quivianin on the shore of the Sea of Helkar. So Quivianin is on the shore of one of the lakes that's made from the puddles of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the of the of the lamps. Okay. And now uh, that that beautiful symmetry has been wrecked. You see, because the Valar have moved over here to Valinor, and they fortified this, they raised the mountains, right? And they expand the seas. So they kind of shove the whole continent over. That's why it's all bent and, 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 and crooked now. And the Sea of the East is all squished. It's now like the moat of the East, right? And the Sea of the West is much bigger, and you've got the Enchanted Isles that they set up here. So all this is designed to defend them against Melkor. So, though, you know, Melkor's over here, and they don't trust him anymore because he's he messed with the lamps. So they expand the sea, shoving the continent over, and they make Valinor, and they raise the mountains, and they raise the Enchanted... So they've got these, like, two ring... Three, really, if you count the ocean, uh, uh, sets of defenses between themselves and Melkor. So you can see how they are fencing themselves in, right? And in doing so, they have they have, you know, shoved the whole landmass over. So they didn't wreck the whole landmass, but they shoved it over, um, so that um, uh, uh, so so when he talks about the symmetry being marred, this is the primary thing he has in mind that the symmetry of the entire layout of all the landmasses and everything is marred. Okay, um, and then the final map. This is the same thing after the battle, right? The battle at the end of season one. 
Okay, so you know when the when the the whole world is broken as a consequence of that. I mean, we're talking about really seriously broken. Now, this is a much rougher map, as you can see. It's much less uh, much less finished, um, but the but it still is. It does represent the same thing. So we had these two little seas, right? The Sea of Helkar and the Sea of Ringal. They've all been. So this is still the top one. Right, it's still mostly the same, but the second one has been broke. The land has been broken up, and it now connects the western sea and the eastern sea. So this is what used to be the little pool of Ringo there. Well, it's a little sea. I mean, it was still a big ocean, but whatever, a you know, big inland sea. And it now connects. So this is the sea of the east. This is the the western land, the eastern land over here, right? And this is Valinor still over here, right? This is Belagaia, the western sea. This up here, this is Beleriand, right? So remember when I said that the 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 destruction that comes from after the first battle is like orders of magnitude bigger than the like the sinking of Valinor is almost unnoticeable and or the sinking of Beleriand at the end of the War of Wrath is almost uh, negligible in comparison. That's what I mean. This this is this is it. This is this is this is Beleriand right here. Um, I think that line is the River Syrian, maybe or maybe it's this one. These are the Blue Mountains. Um, uh, so anyway, this is uh, this is his sketch. It's not exactly a map. This is his sketch, a Blaird. So just to, so that you can kind of see the concept that he had in mind when he talked about the world being uh, the world being sort of wrecked and 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 redone and everything. So um, okay, so that's. Um, that's the uh, that's the thing. Uh, Tony Mead is asking, are we going to confront the flat earth issue? Nope. Nope. Not going to go there <laughs> at all. Thank you for asking. Uh, there's not really a need to, is there? I mean, there's not that much of a need to. No, I don't think uh, there's much of a need to at all. Um, uh, I, I think we can... Um, I mean, even when we have the Numenorean debacle later on, I don't think it has to be part of the deal. I mean, there's enough other stuff that happens that... We don't have to talk about the world becoming round, right? Yeah, no, we don't. Um, we really don't. It really doesn't have to come up. And I'm keen to avoid it pretty much as long as possible. Um, <laughs> and, and, the fa- <laughs> and the fact is, I mean, again, think about it. When's it going to come up? Like, they're not going to yeah. chat about it in conversation, right? I mean, basically, prior to the world becoming round, e- even if the world is flat first, prior to the world becoming round, it's, it's not like people talk about that. Like, gosh, have you noticed how flat the world is? Yeah, me too. This world is pretty flat, isn't it? I mean, nobody talks like that, right? I mean, th- they're all going to take it for granted because it's how the world is. Um, and then even afterwards, like, it's not like young Aragorn would be like, later on so how did the world become round because he's not going to think about the roundness of the world i mean they're going to talk about a change right how the world was changed so um uh so yeah we we pretty much um we pretty much don't have to uh we pretty much don't even have to worry about it we need to show it in the vision of arda you know and if luvatar is showing them the vision but i think we can have other visuals oh yeah yeah no no we can totally we, we can totally fudge that um my my thought there anyway is that actually if we have if we actually depict sort of the the thing globed within the void right if we if we actually de- I think it it could look really hokey um what I would kind of like to do is just basically bring the bring the viewers into the vision of Iluvatar there right so like when Iluvatar shows them to the shows the vision to the uh to the to the Ainur 
that the vision that is shown to the Ainur is is the vision that we see, and we just show it on screen, right? So we don't need to have like a round glowing ball hovering in a black void, right, with pictures on it, looking like a you know a a crystal ball or a you know cheap television set or something like that. I think we, we just show it on screen. So so yes, I think that even there we can avoid the question of the flat world. Anyway, okay, so. Just, just a little, just a little context for, uh, for to- I, that was those were some uh, pictures I was kind of I was alluding to before, um, but, uh, um, but, but yeah, I, I think, um, I think we can, we can, uh, we can avoid the question. So I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to show people because I think that those when when you look at those maps and kind of think about what that means and 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 keeping in mind those passages of text that we're talking about and have been talking about during this season. Uh, it's really interesting to see there what was in Tolkien's mind. Now the whole like the you know great podcast listening. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it really should for people who are just listening to the audio version to listen to me say if you look at this over here, you can see this and there. Okay, well if you want to see the visuals, you can either go to the episode to either to session 5 uh, it's class number 5 of the Shaping of Middle-earth um uh, uh session that's on YouTube in Mythgard Academy or just Get your copy of the Shaping of Middle Earth and open to the illustrations in uh, the maps of uh, of, of Middle Earth chapter, um, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. So, okay, uh, good point. Of course, there's it's going to get worse as we talk about pictures later on today. But look, if you're listening Sorry. to an audio Sorry, podcast, <laughs> listening to an audio podcast on visuals, what can you expect? You know, I mean, it's a. Um, <laughs> It's That's the way true. It, but again, all That's all true. of the pictures that I'm talking about are going to be uh, are on the the discussion board. I'll try to remember to mention which thread I'm looking at, so that you can, if you're listening, you can find it and uh, and 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 look along with us at the pictures we're looking at. So, all right. So okay. So that was one issue. The other issue, I just wanted to kind of remind people of the lighting issues in season one. Right. The uh, the the varying uh, uh, the. the the problems with light and the various astronomical phenomena or lack of astronomical phenomena uh, uh, that we kind of come up against here in um, uh, in this season. I just could kind of remind people of where we stand and the, the solutions that we sort of came up to. And basically the idea, as I recall, is that most of Beleriand, of co- or most of Middle-earth, of course, is... Um, is still supposed to be in darkness before the star. I mean, the stars don't get created until the second to last episode. So, you know, it's, um, uh, we don't even get starlight, but we were talking about having a sort of a diffused glow so that we can basically, when people are off in, in, in middle earth, we can have that be stage darkness essentially. Um, and I think that that works pretty well, actually, you know, that I, I, in fact, I actually think that that could be worked into a really interesting kind of visual motif for all of season one. I mean, if you think about it, um, season one is going to be divided. There are going to be three different lighting options, essentially, uh, in season one. Um, one is going to be indoor lighting, right? Which is going to be, you know, which can be provided by lamps and can be provided by fires and things. Um, there's going to be outdoor outdoor darkness, which is going to be very common, right? Um, you know, all of our scenes, which are pretty much all of our scenes, which are taking place out, um, you know, in the wilds of Middle Earth, will be in in out in again stage darkness. 
um, you know, that kind of silvery light, which on screen represents darkness. And, uh, uh, and then there's going, but, and then there's the third category and the third category is the really interesting one. And that is the only real outdoor, well-lit scenes we have. And those are the scenes in Almerin with the, when the lamps are lit and the scenes in Valinor when the trees are lit. Um, so we do get outdoor light. The outdoor light is not going to be exactly like sunlight, of course. Um, but those are the only times we're going to be able to have something like sunlit scenery. Um, but um, anyway, so... Um, now, this is going to be kind of a gloomy first season, isn't it? Well, not necessarily. But, but I, I, again, I, I think it could really work. Right. I mean, the the it certainly the way that it is going to enable the kind of visual contrast it's going to be able to establish. I mean, just think, for instance, about how you could use symbolically the difference between the quality of light in Utumno and the quality of light on Tiniquitil. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Or in Valmar. Um, there's so much that we could convey. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, that there should be light. I think the Utumno should be very bright and very well lit. Remember, Melkor hoards light, right? Um, he likes light and thinks that all light belongs to him. Um, but it should be, a, you know, a kind of a, a kind of a, a, you know, sort of pale and soulless light. It should be like fluorescent light, basically. I think. Um, in fact, we could even use fluorescent light, uh, not actually show the bulbs, right? But uh, <laughs> the, the, the light, right? Myron is like. My lord, I have a new invention for you. It is the fluorescent <laughs> tube bulb, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but 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 that, that that actual quality of light, something like that, I think um, we could actually use. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, so I, I I think that there's that there's a lot that we can do there. I'm actually so so I, I actually think the fact that we're not stuck to the normal setup, right? Of like it's either daytime or it's nighttime or it's firelight or whatever. Um, you know, the fact that we have very different qualities of light. And of course, all through this season one, the, the nature of the light and the quality of the light is a, is an important part of the themes of what's going on. Right. I mean, when we get the light of the tree versus the, uh, you know, versus the darkness of middle earth, the, the light of Valinor versus the light of Atumno, um, you know, the light of the lamps, and the fire of the Balrogs. I mean, there's, there's all of the different lighting options um, are important. You know, symbi- they're, they're, they're a big part of the meaning of the story that we're telling. So um, I definitely think that the lighting issues are, uh, um, are really an opportunity um, and can hopefully prevent the whole thing from just looking gloomy. Um, in fact, I would hope that we could succeed um, in making some real beauty in the you know the nighttime scenes the sort of you know so that darkness um it's again i think i think it's one of the cool ways that we can really emphasize some of the storytelling that we're doing in season one basically to show that some of the light uh some of the light some of the evil is well lit and much of the darkness is beautiful didn't we talk about Korea? It just reminded me. Didn't we talk about the Valar possibly emitting sort of some sort of soft 
light. We did talk about that. Um, I don't want to have them glowing on screen. It could be really... That's a challenge, because it could look really stupid. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I I mean, like, if they're actually (laughs) surrounded with, like, a Nimbus or something, that that would... um, That I, I can't... I mean, basically, it's hard to take anyone seriously as a person when they're surrounded by a glowing Nimbus, right? I mean, it's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I that I, I think um, is is not going to work. But, but well, it, you know, yeah. I mean, you think about you know the way that Jackson portrayed Galadriel in right. in, in these. You know, she kind of had a little bit of a glow to her, didn't she? Right. Exactly. But see, what I'm thinking of though, how we can do that is just basically change the quality of the light in the room. I mean, I think it'd be pretty darn cool, for instance, if we have like a scene with like thinking about the you know like the discussion between Manway and Varda on Tenequitil that we were discussing in episode twelve and thirteen, right? Um, right. Imagine Manway alone in a room looking out over Middle Earth, and then Varda enters the room, and she's not glowing. Right, you know, she, there's not like beams of light coming out of her, but just the lighting of the room changes when she enters it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not something we draw a lot of attention to. It's not something you make a big deal of, but it's just just the the lighting is different when Vard is around. Um, there's also another question there that's sort of embedded in that. When you know how the two of them together have this extra oomph, do we do yes. anything that with that lighting wise as well to show that there's this this sort of extra Possibly, yeah. I mean, between light and music, I think that there's a lot that we can do. Uh, I mean, just just as we have musical themes, you know, motifs that should be associated with each of the major Valar, um, you know, as we discussed, which are which are so important because those are going to be, you know, sort of musical light motifs throughout the whole, not just season one, but through the whole entire series. I mean, I you know, I think that, um, you know, like for instance, I I'm I am imagining. The uh, the the Nienna musical motif uh, will be very prominent in the t- in the Turin season, for instance. You know, what would right? Lots of violin. Yeah, yeah. There had to be a lot of violin there. <laughs> a lot of mournful violin going on. Yeah, yes. a lot of the a, a lot of the yeah the the, the Nienna stuff there in the background. Lot, you know, so anyway, there's there's you know there's there's lots of with uh, you know we should be hearing you know remnants of, you know sort of recollections of the um of the Lorian theme you know when we're with melian and menegroth you know so um so th- 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 this is going to be stuff and I, and frankly i think that this can continue all the way through i mean like i th- i think having the Lorian theme be playing in the background when like bilbo shows up at rivendell for the first time when we're doing the hobbit story should happen you, you know, know <clears throat> that almost needs to be it's like this is for the music so you know episode but it's like each each theme it's almost as if each theme needs to be created and then melded into a music to be used at the beginning of the of this series right you know what i mean instead of doing the music of the einor and having it come from there it's almost like each theme needs to be created and then it be put together into a harmonious or disharmonious depending on who you're talking about whole to show the music of the einor in the beginning Hmm, interesting i'll make a note of that for next episode yeah yeah (laughs) So let's, yeah, I have an idea. Let's try to make the job of the people who are trying to compose the music of the Ainur even harder. Really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. That's excellent. Um, 
Uh, okay, so so that's so. But anyway, I, I don't want to get too distracted on that. But 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 my point is just basically we we can do the same thing with lighting. You know, I mean, if there's like a particular shade, you know, a particular quality of lighting that is associated with with Varda, that's another thing that we can use throughout, right? Like that same shade of light uh, comes over the scene when Gildor and Glorian and his elves come in and meet Frodo and Merry and or Frodo and Pippin and Sam on the road. Right, um, when they save them from the black, right? It's the Varda light that Ooh, comes in and chases Mordor. and chases the in Mordor. Yes, in Mordor, when Sam, Mordor, it, when oh Sam sees the absolutely sure, sure. Yeah, um, so, so anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot that can be done uh, with uh, with the lighting in that way. So again, my I, I, I definitely think that we would use the rather peculiar atmospheric conditions of season one. Um, as really an opportunity, um, rather than a, rather than a limitation, and certainly not to have season one just appear dark. Right, dark is I, my my hope would be that although a lot of it's going to happen in dim light, um, although, although a lot of it's going to be happening in dim light, I think that we need to have. Um, uh, I would not want anyone to look at season one and say uh, this show is very dark. Um, it, it shouldn't look dark, but anyway. Um, okay, let's talk about specific locations. Um, Sounds good. We talked about this a bit at the time um, when we were doing episode three, especially that is episode three was the flashback to the void and uh, focused in particular upon um, Varda and Melkor um, and their discussions. Um, in the void. Um, what about the timeless halls? How do we conceive of the timeless halls? <laughs> Apparently, there's been quite a debate going on. Yes, up that. <laughs> yes, there has. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what do you think? Any ideas? I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm Completely I'm really torn. I'm really torn. Here's my biggest problem with the timeless halls. If we make them look like a building, right? If there's uh-huh. architecture involved in the timeless halls, then we have to choose a style of architecture for the timeless halls, and I, I, and that means whatever architecture style we, whatever architectural style we choose for the timeless halls, becomes like God's own architecture, right? Which means that any architectural style that we depict in Beleriand or Valinor or Middle Earth. Um, which resembles that is going to be like, and this is the like true architecture of Iluvatar. You see, I mean, it, it, it lends a kind of weight and authority to, mm-hmm. to any, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost, yeah. I mean, now of course we could simply embrace this and say, let's make the timeless halls 
resemble in architectural style whatever Valinor is going to look like, right, on the principle that the Valar would make something, or Almorin, right, on the principle that the Valar would make their place look like um, look like the timeless halls of Iluvatar. But that seems to me kind of lazy, because if we show the Valar making stuff... I would think rather that the architecture of the Valar would be kind of like the physical forms of the Valar. That is, would reflect their own individual natures and inclinations. Um, whereas the timeless halls of, of Iluvatar are different, right? Not just something for the... Uh, um, uh, not just something that looks like the... Um, that looks like what any one of the Valar would choose. Um, so I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a problem with that, with making it definite. <laughs> that, that's going to be a little bit of problematic when we go to film this thing. Yes. Yes, it will. Um, well, but okay, if we think about it, though, we only have two episodes where this is an issue at all, right? Mm-hmm. Episode one and episode three, the I Know In Delay episode and episode three, the flashback episode. And we can avoid it, right? I mean, we could dodge it. We don't have to have... I mean, it's not like we have to have, like, a particular room with wallpaper and furniture in the background when the... You know, when the... like. I mean, I think it would be kind of interesting, actually, visually, to have, for instance, in episode three, Varda and Iluvatar's... Or Varda and Melkor's conversation, sorry, happening basically with the void in the background. I mean, just 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 a just a black background. They can be lit again, not glowing, but lit. Um, and we can even have some vague sense of space around them. It doesn't have to be total emptiness. Um, but I actually think I, I don't know. I mean, I I think it 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 could be. I like that idea. It seems appropriate. Of course, um, representing the void is a little tough. Yeah, or, or easy. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just, <laughs> right, yeah. just, just, just darkness um, uh, is easy enough. Uh, Marie is uh, passing on um, the, one of Hakan's suggestions from the uh, discussion board that the the timeless halls could be sort of insubstantial and fluid. Uh, they could be constantly changing in pattern, so not formless but not static. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Though, again, I still come back with the problem that, like, even if we then show multiple signs, then at least it shows that there's not just one authoritative, you know, architectural style that Iluvatar prefers. Um, uh, but we'd still have to, you know, even if we had several, they would still have to be definite. Um, uh, so... Yeah. And I still think it would be 
it would be interesting. It would be daring, uh, but it would be interesting to have a lot of the Ina Lindaway episode be dark. Because um, remember, the Einar don't even get, they don't get sight. They don't have sight. Um, right. They only have hearing at the beginning. Um, yeah, so, right. And as Michael, that's that, that's definitely another issue that I see. Michael Dennis is pointing out that um, the, the Valar, you know, the, the they, if we keep the timeless halls as sort of more of a blank slate, it allows more for the subcreation by the Valar. Um, we risk depicting the Valar merely as mimics, if uh, you know we have the time. You know, so if if Valinor is just basically a knockoff of the timeless halls, then that lowers Valinor and it lowers the Valar, um, and de-emphasizes their creative, you know, their subcreative um, aspect. So. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That would be, uh, um, that would be, I agree that that would be, that would be, that would be bad. So, um, we're not making very firm decisions here about the timeless halls, but How would you convey that? See, this is where this is where like it's, it. This is so hard. It's so hard. Me not being a, many, an, an artist, I can't even really think about. I mean, but, I wonder. I wonder if one way. To, I'm sure the production people would love this, but uh, one way to maybe tackle this is to <laughs> scene to scene to change it. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's the kind of thing that Hawkins is suggesting. Um, I mean, the thing is, I don't want it to look simply surreal either. Right. Right. And that's the problem. I mean, if it's if it's we don't want it to look random because randomness, (laughs) that's not a Luvatar. He's not random. No. Um, No. uh, So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the idea that it's indistinct or in I'd rather have it be indistinct than indefinite. If that distinction makes any sense. Um, Better to suggest something that we're not even we're just not perceiving clearly than to suggest that things are always in motion. Um, but that, of course, the danger of that is um, then it just looks like things are blurry. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm fine with what? Just making it blurry? You're, you're fine, I'm with, fine blurry? with blurry. I'm better with blurry than I am with other things. Um, now, see, if, if we were really executive producers, what we would say at this point is we would say, okay, you gr- group A, group B, group C, you go away, create concepts. We want a pre- presentation next Monday, 8 a.m., go. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So, so that's right. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Our job isn't to make up ideas and to make firm decisions in this way. <laughs> We're just talking about concepts, right? So, so it's my job not to uh, not to solve this problem, but rather to create the problem, right? So, that's right. so, that's right. so. Okay. Phew. Thank you for reminding me. I, I really I put myself in the position of a creative artist there for a second, which was totally uncomfortable and and very wrong of me. Yeah. So let and me go like, back. Like Dave said the production people will hate us, but isn't our job to like push? You know, this this how new technology gets produced. The new ways of doing things is people like us saying, make it happen. I don't care what you have to do. Just make it happen. 
yeah, yeah. arbitrary constraints. <laughs> arbitrary constraints, exactly. So so we we don't want to give the impression that it's just changing randomly. Like we can't have randomness, but we don't want it to be too definite. Um, I mean, I think that Michael's point about mimicry by the Valar is a very important one. Um, Marie brings a mist, you know, mist is certainly a good candidate. Mist, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a risk, of course, of looking like cliche heaven on the clouds, you know? So, like, right. we, have to, we, have to, right. you know, we have to be careful of that. We must be avoided at all costs. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but, but uh, mist can be done, you know, in ways that, like, mist can achieve blurry, for instance, without merely being blurry, right? So, um, help make things kind of indefinite. Um. Um. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Okay, Marie. Good question. Bright and well lit or dim? Uh bright in episode one. That is when Vala, when Iluvatar is there. Dim. With the conversation between Varda and Melkor should be dim because that's happening like next to the void. Like I mean, I I I would, you know, really think that they would be. Um sort of looking out into the void. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, Brian, I agree. Brian Fetterini says that uh, our color palette will help avoid heavenly comparisons. Um, yes, exactly. I would not think that this needs to be all white, like the cloudy heaven. Um, uh, so, yes, having having different color schemes. Um uh, would would help to 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 get away from that. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so I think we I think we've uh, we've made it difficult enough for people to try to sort that out. But that's okay. All right, that's good. How about Almerin? And now here's to me here's an important issue with Almerin. Um, Almerin needs to be. What are the similarities and differences between Almerin and Valmar? Right, the Valmar make two different places. They make their first place. And then they make their second place. What's the difference? Do we make them so? I mean, I think they have to be similar, right? <laughs> Valmar has much higher walls. Yes, exactly. That's totally what I'm thinking there too. I think that we um, we show at least it doesn't have to be like you know a medieval castle, Valmar, right? It doesn't have to look like a walled city, but yet it should show evidence of a more defensive mindset, basically. Um, Almerin is something that is designed by people who have not even imagined that conflict is going to happen. You know, basically, it's it's not designed... Like, defense is the last thing in mind, right? But when they're going yep. to Valinor, they're kind of fording up, right? Or at least many of them are thinking that way. Um, so, yes, yes. Um now, Marie asks a, a really good question. Do they build Valmar right away or in season two? We could avoid the city of Valmar itself and just focus on the different individual places, you know, houses of the Valar, right? So we have um, Manway and Varda's place up on Tiniquatil. We have the Gardens of Lorien. We have the Halls of Mandos. Maybe we have, um, uh, you know, Nienna's little flat on the edge of the world. Um, you know, so we could do, uh, you know... Uh, Aule and Yavanna are going to need places, um, but um, but yeah, Marie, you're right. The elves could be involved. Like basically, the city of Valmar itself could be something that's kind of built for the elves. That's kind of nice, actually. I kind of like that idea, Marie, because 
it could it, it could be a way that we visually emphasize hey the um the the you know the the thou are are like setting up a place for the elves of course the downside of this is that the elves don't generally don't by and large live in Valmar um so um oh that's uh Hakon's idea yeah I, I I like the idea again the problem is that again they don't really live there I mean the Noldor and the and the Vanyar live in um in Tyrion until the Vanyar move move on up uh you know to the slopes of Teniquitil um and and obviously the Teleri live in Alqualande so the elves kind of stick more to the coastlands and don't really live there. Um, so we'd have to kind of deviate from the text a little bit if we did that. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, Murray. They do interact with the Valar there, so that can be kind of like the the place, like the, you know, the meeting place of the, you know, the, the, the place where elves and Valar hang out together. The Valar still have their own place. The elves have their own places. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Chris Stevens was just saying. Um, even if they don't live there, the Valar can, can still build it for them. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, Mark Ingram was just suggesting that uh, it, maybe buildings in Almorin shouldn't even have uh, roofs or walls. Brian Fatterini is suggesting roofs and no walls. Um, yeah, I actually really like that idea. I, I think I like the idea of, of roofs and roofs no walls. No walls. The idea of Almorin looking like a like a permanent, you know, <laughs> like more like a garden than a city. You know, more like a, more like a, um, you know, it's like Almerin is the the permanent picnic, right? You know, it, more open air, right? Everyone is, everyone is sort of, there's no divisions among people, right? So it's all open. Everybody, you know, sees into everything else and wanders around at will. It's more like a, again, it's more like a big old ongoing garden party than it is like a city with walls and streets and, and separate buildings, um, and doors and 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 you know shutters and things. Um, so yeah, lots of pillars and 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 roofs. Um, yeah, more like a big old pleasure garden exactly than like. A, um, which, even the idea of a house, you know, just the idea of an enclosure, is something that could be part of the Valinorian era rather than the the Almorin area. Right. So 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 Almarin was open space open concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they they would have roofs cuz you know it rains sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, that's fine. Um but they don't have things separating them from uh, one from another. Right. 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 Um I like that. I like that. Um, how about the lamps? How do we see the lamps? And how close to Almarin are the lamps? See, the thing is, I mean, as we can see from the maps that I was showing, um, uh, the um, 
you know, Tolkien conceived of, you know, the lamps were designed to give light to like a big chunk of the whole center of Middle Earth. So um, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, um, it's, the lamps were enormous, you know, such that the, when the pillars melted, they made inland seas, right, on the shore of which was Quivienen. So they were absolutely enormous and quite far away. But I don't think, I don't think it's going to necessarily, I mean, obviously we're not doing the ice pillar thing, um, but I don't necessarily see them being that, I I mean, I think if we, if we make them that large on screen, it's going to look, they're not going to even be visible, right? Right. Um, I mean, we couldn't even get a shot. I mean, it would be hard to get a a screenshot of Almerin with the lamps in the you know, with the lamp in the background would be hard if they're that tall. Um, so that's, so th- that's my first question about the lamps. Should they be near to Almerin or should they be far from Almerin? Huh. I'm kind of thinking near because we want to make sure that the destruction not of the in lamps. Town center. No, no, yeah, not not in the center of town, but not really, really remote, because the destruction of the lamps has to be able to lead directly to like Almerin is going to get wrecked when, yeah, <clears throat> and like it's going to get obliterated when the lamps are destroyed. Um, Would so, they be on maybe a hill, like an elevation above the main living area, you know, so they can be seen from from there, but you know, are like sort of looking down on. I don't know the houses of the Valar. That seems like a weird phrase. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, would Almerin be um, be on an elevation? Well, that's the other thing. You know, yeah, or it could be hilly rather than being on a in flat. I mean, it, the Almerin itself generally could be hilly. I mean, we could do. I mean, it's it's on an island. Almerin is on an island, um, but it could be. <clears throat> I mean, and I, I think here, I, in part, I'm being influenced by that cross section diagram that I was showing, which showed like that you know the sort of the symmetrical mound of Middle Earth in the middle, and Almerin's in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sort of on the crown of uh, of of Middle Earth. What if we had there actually be you know, like a large sort of hill or like a very, like a large down with a lake in the top and the island in the middle of that. And if the lamps were like north and south of, of Almer and not right next to it, but still close enough that they're going to, they're going to affect it when they fall. And they could be like on the edges of that central high elevation mass so that their light shines out far, but not everywhere in Middle Earth. Um, yeah, Mark, not too defensible, exactly. Yeah, so I don't see this as like steep right. walls and everything, but like a more, more. that's why I say more like a down than like a mountain. Um, so, you know, a definite, a definite rise in the land, but something you could walk up. It would be, you know, steep, but you could walk up it. Um, When the lamps de- when the lamps are destroyed, 
does the destruction of the is the destruction of the lamps a tectonic event or is it a surface event um i could see either one of those working brian federini is suggesting that when the pillars of the lamps fall and strike the world you know the 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 earth's crust is cracked and seas come in and almerin is drowned that could work <clears throat> i kind of visually i prefer the image of almerin burning than almerin drowned in water though of course drowned in water we do get a you know we can look at we we can look forward to numenor there which is kind of yes. nice um, yes, there's going to be plenty of drowning in the future. Yes, yes. <laughs> Brian, Brian says we can burn it first. Right. It burned down, fell over, then sank into the swamp. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> how, how high are the lamps? See, don't forget, don't forget. One of the things we were talking about back in episode, like we were talking about episode four-ish, I think, like near the beginning of Almerin. Three is our flashback to the void. Two is the beginning of the is the 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 initial Almerin episode. Um, three is then the flashback to the void. Four is the arrival of Melkor um, at Almerin. And we were talking about, with the establishment of the lamps, we were talking about um, the possibility of having the lamps not, in fact, effectively illuminate all of Middle-earth. Um, yeah, Marie says they're taller than mountains. Yes, though my question is, how tall are the mountains? How many mountains do we have? And do they have to be taller than the mountains? I mean, again, I'm thinking we could have mountain ranges, you know, Aule, you know, sort of beavering away at, at, at mountain ranges. And, um, but on the other side of the mountains, it's dark. Because remember, we, we talked about that. One of the things that we talked about was uh, the possibility of the lamps being not necessarily an entirely good idea. Um, the Valar lighting the central region of Middle-earth where they lived, and as a consequence leaving some of the rest of Middle-earth in darkness. Um, so, if we did that, again, I, I don't think it is that it would therefore be in... I mean, I think that several people who are commenting on this are imagining it, which is, I think, indeed how Tolkien was describing it and conceiving it in the published Silmarillion, that the lamps are really designed to cast light over the entirety of Middle-earth. Um, certainly when, again, you look at that, that map, you know, again, map four in the shaping of Middle-earth that I was pointing to with the one with the two big puddles, you can see. I mean, if there were lamps of that magnitude, you know, pillars of ice of that magnitude in those parts of the continent, it clearly would have illuminated the entire continent. Um, but, but I don't think that we have to do that. If we had... Um, Again, and I'm sort of imagining the uh, the landscape generally to still be symmetrical at this point. If we imagine the 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 landmass of Middle Earth to be, you know, sort of 
rising to a crown at the center where Almerin is at the top and the lamps around it and then it sort of swooping down into valleys which extend out and then we can have mountain ranges off in the distance surrounding that big old central like hill and valley and then have um, but then it can be darkness it can be dark in the extreme north, south, east and west of the continent um, that would be fine you know, I mean, if if they were up on that hill and there's and there's you know, very regular sweep of land around it, it would illuminate much, but not all. Um, well, Marie, I'm thinking somewhere between big lighthouse and continental peak. I don't think it needs to be taller than the tallest mountains the lamps. But nor do I think they should just look like a tower. Um, Yeah, it seems like it should be uh, kind of organically fit into the landscape. Yeah, it would look weird. I mean, just imagine it. If you have like, you know, relatively flat land and rolling and then these like huge phallic spikes sticking sticking up in the middle with lamps on top. I mean, that could yeah, get really with like awkward. A giant, with a giant, with like a giant light bulb. On yeah, the, uh... exactly. I mean, we don't want we, we we don't want this to look like the Washington Monument, right? No, no. Um, just speaking. So, sorry. That's what I always think of when I think of random, awkwardly phallic things sticking up in the middle of nowhere. Um, but um, so, so yeah. So I mean, that's that. I, I'm that's why I'm thinking of something that's not that should not be thousands of feet high. I would be cool with hundreds of feet high, but not thousands of feet high. And that's why I would think that the collapse of the lamps would not be an architect tectonic event. Remember, again, right. in Tolkien's depiction, the melting of the of the pillars when they were ice was important because that made seas. But apart from the fact that that, that made two very large puddles which became inland seas, that's the only change that the destruction of the lamps wrought. The shifting right. of the continents was done by the Valar when they were trying to defend Valinor. So... I don't think we need to have... I think we should save the destruction. I think the idea of, like, the image of the Earth's crust being broken open and seas coming rushing in is something we should save for for episode 12. Um, because that's real destruction. The destruction of the lamps, it wrecks Almeren, right? So the image of, like, the beautiful pleasure garden of the Valar being going up in flames and even possibly being drowned... Um, you know, by the you know the, the island itself could be broken, and and the the lake that it is in you know could could flood over some of it. You know, so we could have a water and fire thing. Um, but that's just like a taste of the of the conflict that's coming, right? That that's that's merely a a small sampling of the destruction that's going to happen later on. And again, this is what va- this is what Manway knows. Right, Manway doesn't want that kind of conflict, you know, and it's because he sees the destruction of the lamps as merely a foretaste, right? So, um, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's because again, and see here, this is this is one of the challenges that we come to here is we need to think about 
a couple different things here, right? We need to, th well, okay, we need to think about three things. We need to think about how Tolkien describes things, but even more important, we need to think about the ideas behind what Tolkien describes. And then we have to, but then we also have to think about how it's going to actually look. There are a whole lot of things which, if we represent them exactly as Tolkien describes them, they're just going to look funny. It's, it's, it's going to look strange. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not going to have the same effect visually that it does when you read about it. Um, so... Um, anyway, okay, all right. So we have big but not too big. What are the lamps made of? Rice paper. Rice paper. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, um, I, I, not ice. Yes, I agree. Uh, Crystal, I agree, should be involved because we want the lamps to anticipate the Silmarils, right? Um, so the lights should definitely be in, should definitely be in crystal. Um, the, and I think, I think stone, should, should we have metal involved? Several people are suggesting, are suggesting, uh, metal, steel. Yeah. Marie likes this. Brian likes this. I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I have to admit, when I think of steel and towers, I'm immediately picturing steel girders, which I don't want girders. You know, I don't want. No. I don't want it to look like an erector set. But I. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, <laughs> Marie says, "I'm an engineer. You don't build a several hundred foot tower out of stone without metal rebar." Yeah, exactly. And Ale would know that, Marie. You're, you're completely right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I do. I feel like some of these, the, the these kinds of materials like crystal and steel and that kind of stuff, metal, etc. I don't. I, I, I'm kind of imagining these. Uh, these, especially since we were talking about in terms of appearance, we want them to 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 fit with like the landscape and not be not be um you know not look like man-made structures rising yes. out of yes. on the horizon yes i'm kind of wondering if some of these things are things that that are largely that are that are utilized in like a small part of it like you know may, maybe at the the peak where the actuals where the light's emanating from but that sort of the base looks more like a mountain or or yes stone that kind of stuff yeah i think that that makes good sense i mean they they definitely should not look like <clears throat> okay here was this like virgin hillside and then they went and like cut open a part of the hill and laid a foundation and built a constructed a thing on top it should really it should look like it's growing out of the hill right because <clears throat> Aulay helped formed it help 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 to form it so he'd have formed the entire hill around it you know or, or around supporting it um so um but yeah, maybe what we have is we have like this this earth and rock structure, um, which is most of the height of it, and then the the actual lamp part at the top can feature a lot of uh, of metal, you know, shiny metal, precious you know, steel and precious metals, and 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 then the crystal lamp itself at the top. Um, 
I think that would work. And I want the I want the crystals to be broken open. Mm-hmm. I, I insist that the crystals be bro- broken o- open, and <laughs> I insist on something that looks like liquid light coming out and burning Almerin. I want Almerin to get now burned. He sounds like an executive producer. That's right. Make it happen, people. I want liquid light. I insist on liquid light. Uh, and liquid light and fire. And people can think about lava if they want, but it's not lava, and it's not lava colored. It's liquid light, and it burns. It torches them. And, and again, see, because so, I'm thinking about like the breaking of the... Of the, I'm thinking both about the trees, but I'm also thinking about the breaking of the, the potential breaking of the Silmarils that doesn't happen, right? You know, when uh, when when Fanor talks about the breaking of the Silmarils. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is what we're and yes, Maria, in anticipation of the battle of sudden flame, totally, absolutely. Though the flame there is gonna gotta look different. It's not gonna be as pure. But anyway, whatever. We're not talking about that yet. So. Um, yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the flame, liquid flame, sweeping across Almerin and scorching everything, and uh, you know, little Maiar running in panic, and uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody dropping their little uh, uh, you know doll that catches fire in the street, that kind of thing. So that's what we have there in Almerin. Then they go to Valinor. And Valinor, as we said, it's going to be, it's, it's it, it you know it can have some recollections of Almerin architecturally, but should be more um, should be more um, should be more defensible, right? We have walls now, not only walls um, uh, potentially around the cities, but we have people now living in their separate houses. We didn't have separate halls of Mandos and Lorien and Manway and stuff before, and now we do. Um, and we have the Pylori, yes. Uh, we have the the mountains, yeah. Um, and uh, and yes, Brian Valinor is a landmass. Um, uh, uh, it already exists as a landmass. The, the they expand it. Um, I don't know that we need to do this. I don't, and I don't know that we need to depict the widening of the Western Sea. That might be a little bit too much to try to do on screen. Um, but uh, but we can certainly have the raising up of the mountains to sort of suggest the fortification of uh, of, of of Valinor. But the landmass is there. That's okay. Um, so they go there and they make not Valmar the city. Let's save it for the elves. I like this idea. Let's save Valmar for the elves and uh, um, and let's make. Let's just have them make their own houses there in Valinor, which means we can have a variety of architectural styles over in Valinor. Um, I like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, no, Brian, Valinor is over the sea. It's over the sea. There's, there's, there, there's that. I, I just, I can, I can. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. We actually looked at a map of this earlier on, Brian. I think it was, I think it was, I think it was before you were here. Um, okay, so. In Valinor, Tenequitil, um, we've got the, the 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 highest mountain, right? The holy mountain, with the halls of Manway and, and Varda on top. <clears throat> what do they look like? <laughs> hmm. I thought I've always thought kind of craggy. You know, the peak of it would be kind of craggy, like, 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 top, it'll be above the tree line, the top of it would be, so, and it, uh, relatively steep, with, 
you can't see my hands. I'm actually drawing it in the air here. <laughs> um, Great. Perfect. You know, where there's like stone, it's list. almost like it's almost like stone, you know, spires kind of coming up and then there's like a you know, flat there's like a, a relatively small flat area. I mean there wouldn't be a you know, it wouldn't be like their living quarters. You know, it'd be a relatively small space that the two of them would be able to be in. Yeah, it should be a pretty small space. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'd be, they'd have to be in really good aerobic shape to get up there. But, um, yeah, yeah. we totally need a shot of that, right? Manway huffing and blowing as he, as he trudges up the hill. You know, right. You're 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 at you're at you know you're at le- you're at level twenty forty more to go. Exactly right. <laughs> Keep on trucking, Manway. You're almost there. Um, well, you know, since uh, since the you know uh, the people of 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 manway by and large are like sylphs who can fly um oh that's true it doesn't seem like a big issue but yeah that's true um anyway uh so okay good yeah so um let's see i agree it shouldn't be big because i think that we should have a you know we're, we're going to show we, we need to leave room for expansion there right the Vanya are going to come move in, um, you know. So they, they need to build a they need to build an extension for the for the for the entire race of the Vanyar when the Vanyar come in. Um, so we will eventually have a city, um, you know, that sort of spreads over the 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 uh, the slopes of Teniquitil. But we need a place which is going to be basically like a holy place on the top. And the holy place at the top of Teniquitil should be there to be a visual parallel um, to the 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 top of oh help mental tarma freeze thank you the mental tarma in Numenor absolutely in in forty years time yeah 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 we'll actually that's that's sooner than the third age stuff so that's okay. it's absolutely we will get to Numenor within twelve years so. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that's cool. Um, all right. Uh, Mandos. What about Mandos? <sighs> you know, I know. I don't know. Part maybe it's my maybe it's the rebellious streak in me. I don't want it to be all dark and moody and gloomy and windowless and like a prison. I mean, you don't want I, it to be subterranean. Well, part no, of it is I mean, a I prison. I don't know that elves <laughs> dying and going to Bandos is necessarily have to be like a completely sad thing. And I think Buddha may not agree with me, but yeah. um, I mean, you know. Why can't there be color in Mandos? Maybe maybe that's just too much stretching the readers. It kind of sounded like your heresy alarm was going off there in the background. You know, <laughs> I right, think yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably what it was. <laughs> and actually, as I'm saying it, I think we probably would probably stretch the readers' credulity too far to do something like that. But still, it, it bugs me that Mandos is like this gloomy place. Right. You know, I just, I don't know. Well, don't forget that the... Um, you know, a big element, visual element of the halls of Mandos has to be the tapestries of Vire, 
right? Ah, that's true. I forgot about that. So it can't that. just be dark. We have to have a light. But, right. of course, the halls of Mandos can have... Uh, um, <laughs> Tom Hillman says, the parrot of the Lords of the West are upon you. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, it, we... we <laughs> We, we can't have it just be dark, but I think there need to be different sections of Mandos, clearly, right? I mean, we know there are different portions of, of the Halls of Mandos. So we can have, like, the part of the Halls of Mandos, there's like the, you know, the the doomsaying part of the Halls of Mandos, which need to be well lit, because you need to be able to see Vyrie's tapestries, because Vyrie's tapestries are a big part of the dooms that are being deemed uh, for the future, and, but then you do have the, uh, you know, you've got like the different, play, you know, you've got the halls of reflection where the souls of the elven dead go. You've got maximum security where some other people go, right? I mean, I think Fanor is not going to get a roomy cell um, when he uh, when he gets there. So, um, so yeah, and I don't think we need to show that at all. In fact, I think we should not show that at all. I think we should never show that. Um, we, I mean, we need to maintain some mystery, after all, about what the heck the afterlife is like, right? We never really get that described, and I don't think we need to take it upon ourselves to go there. But the tapestried part, there we do. We should go, because we want to show yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Because I was about to, to, to lobby for at least some fountains and some flowers and places, but I think you just said the right thing, which is that we don't need to go there. Yeah, we don't that need we to go there. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, exactly, Brian. Your, your eyes should be totally on the tapestries. I mean, I, I, every wall covered with, uh, with tapestries. And actually, I think the really cool thing would be to have tapestries in the background and have it like you almost be able to make out what's on the tapestry, but you can't, you can't quite tell what it is. Right. So like occasionally there could be a figure that's large enough that you can identify what it is, but you just can't quite make out what's happening. Um, you realize that there will be whole blogs created. Exactly. Whole blogs of people who are like blowing up detail images yes. of the tapestries in the background. That's right. That's totally what I want. That's totally what I want. <laughs> Make that happen. And uh, which means, of course, <laughs> that we need somebody on tapestry duty. We need somebody to be our official virate to actually design the, the tapestry should actually depict things. And they can be depicting things from the next 15 seasons, right? I mean, like, how cool would it be to have a discussion, Absolutely. you know, of, uh, you know, and, and have a scene in the background, which we know, but we're not going to tell the, the, the viewers, is really like you know, like the Battle of Pelennor Field in the background, right? While they're having this discussion in season one or in season three or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I like it. You know, uh, so this should be, this should, this should totally, this is, this, this will, this will happen. And I guess it's, it's not hard for us to foretell the future, right? We know quite a bit of the future. Uh, <laughs> what is, what is in the future <laughs> at this point? So that's fine. Um, uh, it's all good. Um, all right. Cool. Excellent. Yeah, that's um, a real, I like that idea a lot. That's really fun. Awesome. Good. So, Lorian. Lorian. Now, Lorian is an outdoor thing, right? That 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 clearly that clearly needs to happen. Um there were a bunch of images uh people on the I'll share my screen again. Um people uh on the um on the discussion board were suggesting like various sort of gardens with paths and bridges and things. Um, especially like Chinese gardens and things, which I think are, these are, these are lovely. I, I love the, the cherry blossom thing over here. 
I think I would also is... like to see not only a cultivated part, but also like a uh, like a, a know, wilderness, wi- wild like meadows, and yes. you know, like. I mean, that's one of the things that I think would be fun is not only do we have the part that's cultivated, which people are used to seeing, but also just like a, a celebration of Middle Earth in this small space of like wildflowers and meadow kind of stuff. Yes. Um, yes. Would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It, sh- it shouldn't. It shouldn't all look sculpted. Um, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. No yeah, topiaries. We don't no want topiaries. topiaries. No topiaries. No topiaries. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. And I'm not even sure how many structures of this kind. I mean, I certainly think that this is too elaborate for Lorian. Um, for instance, this this is like a. And again, this is the uh, the 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 thread uh, from the discussion board called Gardens of Lorian. Um, right. So yeah, I think that that you know we shouldn't have like the full big Chinese structures. Like you shouldn't actually be able to. Um, like have a restaurant in them, but having paths and little <laughs> fountains and and you know benches benches I have no problem with um, little plashing waterfalls uh, that should all be that that should all be bridges with railings <laughs> bridges just, with railings for those of you who play Lotro that know that the bridges elves with don't railings yeah railings so that you don't fall off into the river absolutely <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, Dime suggests cell towers designed to look like trees. Yeah, uh, no, that's exactly what we don't want, Dime. But exactly, exactly. Or water towers. No water towers. <laughs> no water towers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, and I agree. I mean, the exactly these kinds of really peaceful gardens. This is this is totally is totally what what we should be looking for. So that's a that's a really good idea. Um, uh, other places in uh, Valinor that you guys are picturing that we should that we should talk about oh, the trees how about the trees so we have a mound right um so we're, we're gonna have a gentle hill um with the trees on them how do we do the trees i'm thinking the trees should look um the trees should look not like metal. I mean, that might seem like a really obvious thing to say, but when you read the descriptions in the published Silmarillion, I mean, like they're silver and gold, right? Um, right. You know, Turgon lit- makes literally a, a, a tree out of gold and a tree out of silver in yeah, memory yeah. of the of the trees, right? So, right. It, one one very real possibility would be to have one sh- shimmering silver, like with silver bark, and one with golden bark. Um. I don't think we do that. But I, I think no, and I think actually artists that would not be me uh, um, could actually create. I know he's just like, uh, and, and it's too cold to put him outside. Otherwise, he would have been banished by this time. Um, um, I think that you know artists, CGI and whatnot. I think you can actually make you know a tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a, not a metallic tree, but still have them be silver and gold. I mean, the other. The thing is, is you know, do we go with a particular species of tree, or are we, are we, you know, we need to come up with something yes. new? Yes, yes. Actually, this we can do um, because we have um, uh, um, uh, Tolkien gives those. Actually, oh um, great! He he gives those. I'd have to I'd have to find it. It would take a little bit of oh, looking. Yeah. In the shaping Murray of Murray actually suggests uh, golden the the silver and gold doesn't need intense gilding. You can just gild the edges of the leaves, even. So yeah, I mean, I think exactly. I, 
I think between the light and the leaves, we're fine with uh, yeah. uh, with silver and gold, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I can't. It it would take me a minute to find it, and maybe if I can, if I the, but it's in the shaping of Middle Earth, people. It's in the Quenta. Um, look in the Quenta. It's somebody. Somebody who's got it. Look, <laughs> look there and find it. It's in the Quinta. It's 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 in, um, uh, you know. So the description of the trees in the in the in the nineteen thirty Quinta. The, there it is. Um, somebody find it for me, please. <laughs> oh yeah, Marie says it's in the discussion board as well in the thread on trees. Okay. Okay. Good. Anyway, somebody find it. Yeah, I think there's. Um, um, what was the name of the tree the, that he said Laurelin should be like? Um, uh, it's the Golden Rain. Um, golden Rain. Yeah, yeah Cherry. Yeah, Cherry. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, the, so uh, uh, Toparian uh, is supposed to be like a cherry tree. And um, and Laurelin like a like a Golden Rain. That, that, that's a laburnum, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know what, yeah. what that was, Golden Rain was. Laburnum? Yeah, well, that—that's what the blossoms look like. But yeah, it, no, he, he described. I mean, that was the thing that I. I mean, I talked about this in the shaping of Middle Earth class. That when he describes the trees, he doesn't—he doesn't start with the mythic concept. He starts with the description of the mundane. You know, he's like, picture these kinds of trees that you've seen before. Oh, we even have a picture. Okay, there's like a picture that. of a white cherry blossom tree. Yeah, um, and also a, uh, uh, I believe, the other tree as well, golden rain tree. So we actually yeah. have photos. Very, the very first. Uh, uh, post in the trees thread yeah now we don't have to um we don't have to look um at the i see i cunningly didn't cue that one up in among my (laughs) um but anyway so i'm i'm not gonna bother with it right now um no but um anyway so we um and and they're not twins either in other words no they're not the other thing is they're yeah they're not twins. yes good point that's a really good point And, and i think that that is a kind of visual assumption that sometimes people do make right. about the trees. Um, yeah, they should not be twins. Twins, they, they should look different. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, you know, they don't have to look exactly, I mean, it doesn't have to look like a normal cherry tree, right? I mean, it can be much right. larger. It can be, you know, we can, we can make it more distinctive in certain ways, but it, it doesn't have to be, um, but it's still, I think it, it would be interesting if it still looks like a cherry, because that's how Tolkien described it. And I do think it's interesting. I mean, the point I was making in the Shaping of Middle Earth class about this was it's kind of fascinating that Tolkien does do that. I mean, on the one hand, like, yeah, they're trees, and so comparing them to normal trees doesn't seem all that weird, but it kind of does actually seem kind of weird to me because you'd think these are unique trees growing up. I mean, it's not like Laurel in the tree of gold. It's like, it's a normal, you know, laburnum tree. It's just a really big one and a particularly special one. I mean, you'd think they would be a species under themselves, right? And yet that's not how Tolkien describes them. So um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, we do have some stuff to go with there. And the, so the emphasis on the leaves and the blossoms, I think, uh, I think should be Listen, good. Listen, I, I, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works here and take you slightly off. I mean, you can, you can just like ignore me. But um, I de- one thing we haven't really talked about is architecture. Yes. Um, you know, what kind of architecture they're going to use. And I'm thinking that it, this is actually something important to talk about because um, I'm thinking that the elves will bring their memory of whatever architecture was in Valinor with them into Middle Earth. You know, so Elrond when he builds Rivendell, you know, Gilgalad when he makes it. I mean, the elven strongholds or whatever are going to sort of mirror Valinorian architecture. And I, you know, I guess 
I, one of my questions is, do we want to make it all swirly whirly like Jackson? And actually, Lotro does too. All these, you know, yeah. nothing curved and stuff. And I don't necessarily know that that's required. And I also don't know that this is a place that we can have a long discussion about it. But, um, but I do think that's something that would be is part of the sets for this season. Maybe some of this, of course, we can save <clears throat> for first Valmar and then Tyrion. Oh, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's when the elves go over and they build exactly. the extension, like you were exactly. saying. And to, what, ex- okay. to okay. what extent does elvish Valinorian architecture look like, you know, the right. Valar's houses? Right, okay, um, okay. And I think so that we, could... That's good! Kick the can! Yeah! Kick the can. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, no, I, I think that we can save some of that. Though, I mean, I, I do think that there should be sort of motifs, right, that can... Um, right. That can recall certain. Th- I mean, we we are going to need to have like an architectural look for, you know, the holy place on top of Tenequito. We're going to have to have. We're going to have to make some architectural right. choices with the halls of Mandos, right? I mean, it's going to have to look like something, right? Um, right. And, um, and I and I would really love to get away from the elves are always in circles and dwarves are always in squares. You know, I, I just. I, I think there can be a mixture of both of those types of shapes in both architectures. Right. Um, now, the the one thing that I, that's the one thing that's compelling to me about the correlation between dwarves and right angles is, um, you know, or just between you know, ang- you know, the, the angularity of dwarves architecture okay. and, and the, right. is that dwarves are mostly working in metal and stone. So, right. You know, it's uh, but. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, the huge architectural innovations made the, the, the made Gothic arches in the cathedrals and stuff. You know what I mean? Right, There's amazing right. amounts of engineering with stone that you can do, yep. which you would think that the dwarves would actually be masters of. That would make sure. other shapes. You know. So sure. anyway, I just yes. Why can't why can't uh, yeah why, why can't uh, uh, dwarvish constructions have Gothic or Romanesque exactly. arches rather than exactly, exactly. Uh, you know angular things all the time. Sure, that's fine. Though I agree with Tony Mead that when we show Aule's house, obviously whatever Aule's house looks like, that's you know the dwarves are going to be recalling Aule's architecture. Yes. So, and I think the same thing will be true of the dwarves as of as of the elves. They'll be recalling. Yes. There will be echoes and mirrors of 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 Valinorian and Aulean Aule, <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. So, uh, and that I would think would be the strongest resemblance. Um, yeah, would be the yeah, resemblance true. of the you know so so we should be careful because the halls of you know wh- whatever Aule's place is going to look like like that's pretty much what Casa Doom should look like yeah so, exactly you know we're we're kind exactly. of we're kind of preparing ourselves yeah. there um, yeah uh, not to mention well, no like you say you know like you say the mental Tarma you know Tinicotil. Uh, mm-hmm. Connections that would be the same. Yes, in terms of Chazad Doom and and, yes. and though, though that doesn't have to be as exact, of course, because it's not like yeah. an actual memory. I mean, like Durin himself, who establishes Chazad Doom, was there, right? You know, right. in in Alice right. Hall, so he he will right. remember it. Um, right. So uh, yeah. Well, anyway. Metal Tarma. I mean, doesn't Sauron have a lot to do with that, or no? Well, no, the Metal Tarma is there first. That is the, there first. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, the thing that okay. that Sauron builds is the. Temple of Morgoth Sauron, would be the human sacrifice. You're right. Sauron wouldn't, if anything, he'd want to go not the way yeah. it looks on today yeah. by that yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, good, good. Um, uh, we're, 
How are we doing? I haven't even, I've been afraid to look. We're totally fine. <laughs> we're, we're almost done. But this is good. So we're not getting to costuming and stuff. But that's okay because we're going to go back. We're going to come back and talk about the characters again next time so we can fold that in. While we, you know, as we review the... Um, the final, you know, the finalists for the actors and actresses. We can also then talk about costuming ideas and stuff. And don't forget, we have music to do too. And for the folks that are music people, that's no problem. Be no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, we can totally do that. All right. Um, uh, more places. Well, let's 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 hop across the pond. Utumno, Utumno, and Angband. Do we want these to look a lot more, more man-made? Yes. Less organic. Yes, less organic. Like an industrial, uh, dystopic industrial wasteland. But it it can't be it can't be an industrial wasteland because it has to be beautiful. I mean, I think it has to be beautiful. Right, I guess it be ornate. Tumno is beautiful. Angband is the industrial wasteland, isn't it? I mean, or portions of it will be. I mean, Angband. You want to talk about? Uh, echoes Angband should should be like the original of Saruman post Saruman Orthanc area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but Utumno is still beautiful, right? Angband is Angband is a fortress, right? So first and foremost, it's 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 a castle, right? Um, but I mean, there are mountains involved. So I mean, but but it's so yes it it should be designed i mean it, it should be a death trap for anyone who is trying to get into angband like that's so uh in that way the architecture of angband is utilitarian um though i think we should show a difference i mean remember we want to show like the the tarnishing of melkor's image over time so even angband should be strong but pretty um mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of thinking, uh, I, I have this, uh, you know, this this mental image of um, of certain King Arthur movies, you know, that show like uh, uh, even just like all the knights in armor looking all mm-hmm. like you know polished and shiny and pretty. I think Angband can look like that, you know, with lots of shining metal and you know, it's their 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 blades and their um, you know, but not like the kind of dark black jagged like like the way that um Dol Guldur was depicted in the hobbit films right with all the you know the dark black jagged spikes sticking out random places and stuff like that right um i don't think it um i don't think it should you know it should it it can get that way eventually but i think we should show the decay to that even like an actual literal tarnishing of the metal uh, over time right. um so, but, but we don't want to start that way. Um, so it's the, 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 the key, the, the key motif. If I had to pick one adjective to describe Angband, I would want it to be strong. If I could pick one adjective to describe Utumno, I would want it to be gorgeous. But a kind of gorgeous that makes you notice, right? Gaudy mm-hmm. gorgeous. Um, and, and, and Dave, as you say, it should look more artificial, right? Right. Um, the halls of the Valar can more, get, they're like an expression of the, the, practically an expression of the landscape, right? They're like an expression of, of those who are making the natural order. Melkor's halls should be designed to stand out from everything else, to draw attention. You know, they say, look at me in ways that the other, the constructions of the other Valar don't say, look at me. Um, 
ostentatious. Yes, that should be that. that that's also the word, Marie. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Then there should be lots of statues of of Melkor of, of himself. Place. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know what? <laughs> In fact, we should see him posing for a sculpt sculptor at some point, right? While he's having a discussion with somebody. <laughs> yeah. You know the image that the, the 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 image I keep coming back to in my head for Utumno actually is um, not that this conveys everything, but Grand Central Station, like the old Grand Central Station that was recently restored oh, in New York. Yeah. It's quite. Mm, it's yeah. very imposing. It's quite beautiful, but it's a train station. <laughs> you yeah, know? it's, it's kind of cold. Right? It's cold. Yeah. yeah, lots of marble. Yeah. Right, I'm thinking marble. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that is true. It needs to be sumptuous, but with no heart. Basically. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah. designed to impress more than to, right. you know, please, basically. Um, yeah, if we get if we get a look at the servants' halls, they'll be just disgusting and horrible. Right. Anything behind <laughs> right. the scenes will be like. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, Tom, I agree. No stars on the ceiling. That's not what I was thinking of. With the stars on, the, <laughs> there are constellations on the ceiling in Grand Central Station. That's not what I mean. Um, no, instead, just like a mosaic, <laughs> a mosaic of Melkor's face. No, uh, I don't know, but, um, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, it, exactly. So, okay, no, Maria's reminding us that in the Notion Club papers, the the the, the Radcliffe camera, if you're if you've been to Oxford, the Radcliffe camera, that's the if you've ever seen pictures on the internet of of you know the towers of Oxford from a distance or whatever, it's the dome that you can see peeking up above. You know, it's one of the most notable pieces of the of the Oxford sort of skyline um, is the Radcliffe camera. Um, that is what Tolkien was picturing. He uh, identifies it in the Notion Club papers as the temple of of Melkor that is built in Numenor. Um, so, uh, so Marie, you're right. What we that's what we should be anticipating, right? When we get to the temple of Melkor on Numenor, it should look like a tumno. So we do need a dome. That means a tumno needs to have a dome. And if that also kind of makes it look like the U.S. Capitol building, I kind of like that, actually. Right. We can also do a dig at Congress, too. So that's kind of fun. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So a big old dome. Big old dome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like the visual of drawing a connection between... uh... Melkor in Congress. Oh, and Oxford. Oh, Congress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, let's face it. Most Washington D.C. architecture is exactly the kind of thing that I'm thinking of, right? I mean, mm-hmm. buildings that are designed to like be imposing and even, in a sense, oppressive, right? To to impress you with power and uh, and grandeur. To give you the impression of grandeur, um, uh, rather than simply of beauty. I mean, that's what a lot of the structures in Washington D.C. are designed to do. Um, so, um, 
so yeah, no, Tony Mead, it can't be, uh, it can't be look like the Hagia Sophia because that's what Father Christmas's house looks like at the North Pole. So that's, well, that's off limits. Yeah. yeah we have to, sorry. If well, you haven't heard my wacky all... theory about the Hagia Sophia and Father Christmas, you'll have to, you'll have to watch my, uh, my, my recent Father Christmas one shot class where I went through this, but anyway. Aren't the buildings in D.C. pretty much tailored along uh, Greek architecture, ancient Greek architecture? Um, yeah, I mean, it certainly a lot of it is very classical. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, okay, good. Um, and I think it should be. It, the detail work should be pretty ornate. This is how this is one thing in which I would see it different from uh, see it being different from like the huge marble facades of like you know DC museums and and government buildings or Grand Central Station. I would think there would be a lot of detail work, um, a lot of gilt and scroll work and stuff. Yes, right? yes, very ornate. I would think much more ornate than a lot well, of and, those kinds of buildings. And I could- I guess another form of architecture are the in the medieval times. You know those those ruins that we see that are all gray stone were not gray stone. They right. were they were plastered and painted brilliant colors so that you could see the the great hall on the hilltop from miles away because it was so brilliantly colored. Yeah, and um, people forget that, that all too. those like white yeah. marble statues used to have paint. Actually, were painted. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's good. I'm, I'm, I, I think, I think we, and again, fluorescent lighting. That's interesting. I, <laughs> I don't think, um, fluorescent lighting. <laughs> this, this makes sense. And I think this is the right direction we're going in, but it's not, I don't think this is necessarily what a lot of people sort of first blush would think the mm-hmm. bad guy's domain would look like. I think a lot of people sort of like the, yeah. your minds immediately tugged towards sort of the, the Peter Jackson uh, Mordor-esque looking evil yes. black spires, but but I think you're right. I think I think in terms of the way we're the the way we're telling the story with Melkor, like there there should be a facade of 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 enlightenment. Exactly. Yeah. Enlighten- right. I like the, the 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 enlightenment specifically. I mean that that that's very much his attitude. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is he 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 thinks, um, you know, he thinks I mean, his fall is reflected not in, you know, darkness, ugliness and cackling, maniacal laughter and mustache stroking. His his evil is manifested in pride, you know, and in in his glory and his his awareness of his glory. Right. Uh, Tony Mead asks about Ungoliant's lair. Now that's before dark. or after, before the change or after the change, or yeah. both. Well, yeah. I mean, when we meet Ungoliant in episode five or six or whichever that was, um, I think we should she's not have her in her lair. Yeah, right. She yeah. should be kind of wandering about. Um, yeah. Her lair, we're not going to see in season one. Because so we can kick the can on that one because it's not going to be until Melkor goes to to you know consult with her about invading Valinor for the Darkening that we're going to actually get her 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 real lair. Um, but I mean, if there's one place that's dark, I mean, I think it should be more or less completely dark. I mean, 
she's the gloom weaver for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, but, so, but we don't need that. How about the forests of Mid-Earth? Uh, you know, when we show the forests, it's hard because on the one hand, we're talking about like the primeval forest, right? These are like the original forests. Um, but yet, should we make it look like young forest? I mean, should we, should we, you know, do we really want like really old growth, primeval, like European, like, you know, like, like, point. you know, prime, you know, German forest or something like, you know, like, like the I would think rainforesty, like you would find like in Washington state. Right. Or something like yeah. that. Something, something that looks like, you know, with younger trees, you know, what do we, um, what do we, uh, uh, what do we do? I think we we could get away with older trees because I mean it's up to the Valar. I mean they could make the trees mature. I mean Yvonne could exactly. have made mature trees. Exactly. Um, not to mention the fact that we don't know exactly. We're not even going to talk about exactly how much time is passing. This is true. You know, this tens is of thousands of years of years of the sun are going past while all of this is occurring. Yeah. Um, so you know. So I tend to think probably a more mature, more mature forests. We would yeah. say. Yeah, um, yeah. Alan, it, Alan Helms is saying, "What would a young Fangorn forest look like?" Yeah, Alan, I think we should totally show at some point in the first few seasons, we should show like this field of saplings, right? Which is going to be the like, and Tom Bombadil living in it, right? Tom Bombadil <laughs> living in a, in a field of saplings, right? Watching the old forest grow around him, with 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 his with his house framed out. But exactly. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, no, and so, uh, Marie and Tony are both asking, do we have like prehistoric forests? Like, I mean, we could have like redwood trees and, you know, uh, and now extinct, right? Yeah. Now extinct and trees and plants. Um, possible. Possible. Um, uh, I'm See, not this against the thing that. I love about, I mean, I think the folks who would do the settings, you know, I mean, I think back to sort of, the Jackson, especially the Lord of the Rings movies, when I watched the making of the teams that did this kind of stuff, were so passionate and into it yes. that I—I I mean, I think we would have the same thing. I mean, I think the people that would create like the forest would would get into all that stuff, you know, the now extinct plants and you know all of that. I mean, I just yeah. I mean, I think I, I say yeah, go for it. It would be cool. I <laughs> mean, of course, it, yeah. The the more of the forest people. Yeah, the more of that kind of thing we do, the harder it becomes to do a lot of outdoor scenes, right? Where, where you know, we're going to have to have That's all true. these trees and stuff in the background. Um, but CGI, CGI, CGI. No, CGI green screens, not a problem. <laughs> green screens and primeval forests. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, right, it's kind of hard, though, but when no you have dinosaurs. to... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess we did we talk... We did talk about would there be dinosaurs. I think somebody had asked that a long time ago. I mean, we could, but I don't think we need to. Um... You know, some of the some of Melkor's monsters could be kind of dinosauric. That's a good idea. A little bit. I don't necessarily want to. You know, there's a lot of people that are still like devoted to the idea of this being proto Earth, right? You know, and I don't know that we want to necessarily imply that, but but I think yeah, I think his. I mean, he's already going to have like the dragons are kind of you know dinosauric, right? right. So right, yeah, yeah. Of course, we don't want to make dinosaurs be all bad guys. Then that would be sad. And no, no sandworms. No, no sandworms. Oh, come <laughs> on. Uh, oh well. 
All right, last you know, we question. Didn't really, we, we haven't really talked about the flora and fauna of, of Middle Earth, but I, that's also something no. we could maybe kick the can a little bit on. But it's something we probably should cover when we do this next season, is talk about flora and fauna as part of the setting as well. Well, yeah, because we're going to be mean, spending we're a lot of fauna, our time. But we're, we haven't, we're talking about the flora, but we haven't really talked about the fauna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we haven't really. Um, we, we're, we are going to have to spend some time as we travel across Middle Earth because we're, we're yeah. going to be traveling across Middle Earth on foot next year. So um, that you know, yeah, we can we yeah. can we can save that discussion for for then. Oh, giant tree ferns! Absolutely, I think we should have giant tree ferns, Mark. Why absolutely. not? Why not? Who doesn't like <laughs> giant tree ferns? I know. Okay, our last question. Our last question then is Rivendell. Oh, I forgot about Rivendell. <laughs> yeah. For our frame. Well, now we're back to the architecture uh, question story. again. We're back to the architecture question again in terms of, you know, are we going to have an echo? Well, no, but again, you said it, it can have its own. Now it's going to be the other way around, which was next season we need to make sure uh, that Tuna yeah. and, and all the places look like, like Rivendell. Rivendell. Have some, yeah. yeah, or like Rivendell, yeah. I say we just make it look like just copy Peter Jackson and be done with it. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, it's hard though. I mean, his Rivendell is really nice. So is the so is the one in the game, and they both they both share that same you know circular, flowy, yeah, type stuff. Um, yeah. Um, Maybe we could do like a, we could do a, a a hybrid of the two, which wouldn't be hard to do, really. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's going to be hard to totally leave behind um you know we can't just try to do something different from peter jackson because it's different you know i mean that's right. <clears throat> we can't uh, we can't worry about that too much um now i agree i agree with uh, with uh, brianna that elrond isn't gonna have seen valinor himself so it doesn't have to be a direct echo it's going to be, you know, if anything, it's going to be more of an echo of an echo. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah, fact, but I mean, Gilgalad will have seen it, so I mean, you know, Gilgalad will have seen it. Just, you know. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, he won't have seen Valinor. I, we, oh, that's true. Is, that's true. Where is Gilgalad born? Wow, Gilgalad is such a weird character. Um, yeah, is he not? I mean, he wasn't born in Valinor, was he? Well, the question is, when is he? born at all. I mean, he's uh, you know, we're, we're in... Nargothrond, Bray says. He's born in Nargothrond. We're in... Uh, I mean, so he know, was Midgard in, Academy uh, is, in, is in Volume 4 of the History of Middle-Earth and we've still not gotten to Gilgalad yet. He still doesn't exist. Jeez. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I gotta admit, I mean, I, both the game version and PJ's version both appeal to me greatly and they do have the very Celtic looking, you know, sweeping curve stuff going on, which yeah. I don't find at all. You know, I do find that in keeping with the elves, right? Sure. And the, 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 you know, the, of course the connection between, you know, elvish designs and, and, you know, plant you know, vines right, and leaves right. and things like that. That That's I, probably what we'd want to go with. More it's than hard. Anything. It's hard to avoid that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, we yeah. could make Rivendell more organic, you know, not totally go Lothlorien on on us, but have it be more um, maybe built, you know, I mean, he's in a valley in the mountains, but I mean, there could be, you know, more 
rock built into things, trees growing in them, you know, like trees growing the trunk of it inside the building, growing up through the roof. I mean, stuff like that, you know, could be. I mean, I just feel like we do need to set ourselves somewhat apart from PJ and, and Turbine in that respect. And um, I think it would be really interesting if. Um, and this was a suggestion from the discussion board as well. If Gilrein and Estelle have a much more human-like cottage. Yes, you know, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Like, yep. They build them a cottage, and but and, but right. it's but it's more like a it's more like a human, human. cottage, like yep. a thatched human cottage. I I really like that idea. Um, yeah. Uh, you know that it can stand. You know, not to look dumb compared to the rest of things, but but that it does stand. You know that, that it's clearly a like concession. You know, like we we're, we're trying That's to make you a place that, that you will yeah, feel that out of their, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that they did out of their generosity and and wanting to make it feel like home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Now, of course, don't forget, we don't need, we're not going to do an extensive tour of Rivendell, right? In these, you know, we're mostly going to be in, in we're mostly going to be indoors um, in these, yeah. uh, in these scenes. So, so Brianna points out that he can get his, he could get his um, uh, architectural influence from the, from Círdan, because um, Gilgalad was born in Nargothrond, raised in the havens of Syrian, and Elrond is still in contact with Círdan come the right. third age. So, I mean, there could be influences from the Havens more and than... And Círdan has also never been to Valinor. That's um, right. Círdan hasn't been. Jeez, <laughs> <no>. Louise. <laughs> These guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, you know, when you try to think about, like, what architectural styles would have influenced Elrond, I mean, Elrond li- lived a lot of his life on the lamb. I mean, you know, he, he did, like, yeah, you know, true. raised in captivity. <laughs> you so know, I rescind my requirement that Elvish architecture has to match Valinorian architecture. I mean, you know, we all, we already know Lothlorien really doesn't look right. like I mean, Valinorian the, architecture. The one, the trees. The one place which must most closely resemble the architecture of Elvish Valinor is Gondolin. Absolutely, Gondolin yeah. is is the one that's that's a yeah, deliberate yeah. homage to Tyrion. Um, yep, that's true. But yeah. uh, Gondolin for sure. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, which is another can kicking uh, exercise. So no. Problem. Oh, oh, totally, totally kicking that can. <laughs> um, now Brian asks an excellent question. What is meant by homely? Right, it is the last homely house. Um, uh, uh, I mean, that's what it's called. That's what it's called in in the Hobbit. I certainly don't think it means homely in the sense of. Uh, in ugly. the sense of ugly, <laughs> right? It's the last ugly house. They get better after this, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's not. That's not. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. Um, I mean, I, I think it, clearly in its context, it means like the last place that feels like home before you go yeah. out into the wild. I mean, when, when that phrase is used in the Hobbit, that's obviously what it means. And it's, but homely really applies more to elves than to any other race. Really, it's like the last homely place that elves can go before they reach the sea, right? I mean, but, not necessarily. They don't necessarily. But that, like, but that's well, clearly not what they call it, right? The last homely house. Yeah. I mean, if there's any name I that think is, Bilbo's. it's clearly Bilbo, right? Only Bilbo would yeah. call it the last homely house, so especially yeah. since it's only last from his very peculiar point of view, right? On his right. trip, right. heading out right. into the wild, it's the last right. homely house. Um, so if you're going from the Shire to the east, it's the last homely house. But that's the only sense in which it's the last one. Right. Um, right. So, so yeah, I, I think um, I think ha- uh, it's we do want to make sure that it is a place. And thanks for that reminder, Brian. We, you know, Brian is suggesting that um, you know, uh, if anything, Rivendell in um, in in Jackson's films is almost too grand. 
right? It's true that we wanted to be a place where a hobbit could feel comfortable, right? Ah, and Tony makes a great point, which is Rivendell's architecture could be related to Numenorean architecture, given that Elrond and Elros are brothers. Well, that's if they had similar tastes, but... Uh, <laughs> well, they're twins. They're the twins. Of course they uh, did. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Um, and they would be in touch with each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, They'd similar formative experiences. Uh, yeah, exactly, Maria. They lived in the right. same tents as children. That's right. That's uh, right. So, you know, that, that would have... Uh, Michael Michael and May. Is it Mygelin? Was their foster father? No, had, no, you know, you're so. thinking. Uh, you're thinking of Mydra, uh, Mydras. My, yeah, Mydras. Mydras and Magnor. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, so he, you know, they might have influences from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shared decorative concepts. Shared exactly. decorating ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, good. Michael Dennis points out that Jackson's Rivendell re- neglects its military origins as well. It is true that Rivendell ah, is founded. True. Uh, at the time of Sauron's invasion of Eregion. As so, a fortress. Um, yeah. yeah, as a stronghold. So it, it should it should yeah. definitely be defensible, which, admittedly, Jackson's Rivendell really doesn't. Yeah, Meigler. Meigler was their first brother, right? Meigler, yeah, yeah. Meigler, yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Meigler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, so, sorry, having just done the shaping of Middle-earth, like, boy, did Tolkien change his mind about that so many times. Like, the number <laughs> of... The number that of times he crossed confusing. out that name and oh, it's so confusing. Like I'm still so, fuddled, yeah. having taught that book recently. I'm still myself fuddled about, like who was it? Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, it's uh, all right. Well, I'm so glad Maria's here to keep us on the straight and narrow. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we should we should go. Um, it's uh, it's almost time for my next broadcast, so I oh got to run. Gosh. Next time we're we're going to go through characters, so we'll 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 incorporate. You remember last time I, I I stopped people. You guys were wanting to contribute costuming. Just like I think this person should have blue hair, and it would be I I think he should be in a sweeping gray robe. And I kind of tried to cut that off because we were trying to focus on on you know, just to not get too distracted with costuming stuff. So next time we're going to go through the cast again. We will look at the people. You know, we will look at all the actors and actresses who won the elections. So don't forget to go and vote. Um, and uh, uh, between now and then, between now and two weeks. So we'll go through this again, and then I will I will allow us to indulge in costuming discussions and stuff as uh, um, as we do the um, as 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 we go through the characters. Then and and we and we are going to save time to talk about music. I was well. going to say, you know, you're. You're just determined not to have an extra episode. I I understand. I'm with you on that. But boy, I'm going to be so mad at you if you give short shrift to the music. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, costuming and cast is going to be a biggie. I think costuming is a big conversation to have. But anyway. It is. We'll, I'll take is. that conversation offline. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, you know, we can. We, we have to have goals, even if we don't achieve That's our true. goals, right? So we're, Actually, it, it, you guys can let us know if you want to, you know, in the discussion board. Let us know if you think that we merit I mean not that we necessarily will but if we you think we merit having an extra episode so that we can accommodate the final cast costumes and music if you think that's going to take two episodes right. let us know what you think about that yeah because yeah that is what I wanted to end with looking forward um, the two more episodes that we're planning on having are the one that I just described and then one where we talk about the out- I want to have an episode where we talk about the uh, um, go back over the outlines and talk about the the script outlines um, that you know several of you have been so industriously um, writing I-, I promise I will read them all and uh, and we will talk about them 
for that final episode. Um, so if we do an extra episode, we might kind of squeeze it in there in the middle, but, but le- let me know if so, what do you think we should, uh, we should talk about? So. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. And Maria is saying it might not be a bad idea to give them more time to, to finish the script outlines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember I said tax day was the deadline and the schedule for that episode is the 22nd of April. So, you know, we're still, there's still times almost a month from now. So there's still, there's still some time, even if we don't do an extra episode, but anyway. Okay. So yeah, but if there's something else you guys would want to discuss, you know, along these kinds of, uh, design and concept lines before we leave season one behind and move on to season two, um, do let us know, uh, through the discussion board. Um, and, uh, and we can, uh, we can we can think about that so thanks everybody for joining us we look forward to um uh, i look forward to, to to continuing our production discussions next time and as we continue to wind down season one so as always thanks for listening and godspeed <laughs>